Empire. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, that's C-O-R-R-Y. J-O-E-L, and also you can find my regular column in Agent's Take at cbssports.com. Um, in this week's episode, we're going to talk about roster cutdowns and also talk about um, some veteran players who have multiple years left on their contract who should be dissatisfied with their deals. Roster cutdowns are a more pressing matter, so let's go to that first. It's a bittersweet time for players because the roster has to be reduced to 53 um, by 4 p.m. Eastern time uh, tomorrow. And the players that are on what's called active PUP, physically able to perform lists, or active non-football injury illness list, um, either have to uh, be terminated or waived, put on reserve list, uh, or put on the 53-man roster. So... We've already seen a couple surprise cuts. Um, Adrian Peterson was cut by the Redskins today. Um, And there's a little distinction here. For veterans who have four years of credited seasons for pension purposes, their contracts get terminated. They can sign immediately with someone else. If you have less than that, then you're subject to waivers. So you get released, then your contract, uh, any team, any other team can claim your contract. And waivers during the offseason and through the first three weeks of the regular season is determined by inverse order of record from the previous season. So that would be what the draft order was for the 2020 draft minus any trades. So the Bengals, if they wanted to claim 10 players through waivers, they would get all 10 because they have priority over everybody. Um, Redskins have second priority, so anyone the Bengals don't claim that they want, they, want, they get. Now, for uh, the players that... Um, were put through waivers. Uh, the waiver period ends tomorrow at noon Eastern time. So there's a chance you could make the 53-man roster, and because players get claimed through waivers, then some people aren't going to be on the 53-man roster that initially made it. And that process may repeat that there'll be three, four, five guys who then get cut. So another team may claim them when the claiming period's over. And, and during the claiming period, then someone else has to get cut. But uh, making the 50-man roster, if you're one of the bubble guys, doesn't necessarily mean you are still going to be there. Then, on Sunday, uh, the 6th, teams can establish a practice squad. This year, the practice squad will have 16 members. Um, under the previous CBA, you could have 10 members on the practice squad. Under this CBA... In normal years, you have 12, but there have been special, the COVID-19 amendments, the CBA will provide for 16 players to be on the practice squad this year. Now, practice squad operates a little bit differently under the new CBA than the old CBA. It used to be that um, there there's still categories that one, if you, people who are eligible who don't have an accrued season, that's your service for free agency. Um, B players who have Fewer than nine games on the uh, active list. That's the 46-man uh, roster during their accrued season. Then it was a maximum of four players, four, actually four players up to two years of service for free agency accrued seasons. And then there's a fourth category, 
which didn't used to exist. Now, because you have 16 practice squad players and through the amendments, you can have six players who can be in a practice squad, practice squad regardless of how many years of service for free agency or recruits, even seasons they have. It used to be you had basically after you couldn't be in a practice squad for more than three years. So after that, you were done. Now you could see 10-year vets be on a practice squad. Now, salary for a practice squad is uh, the, the rules have changed. It used to be that obviously there's a practice squad minimum. There used to be no maximum. Now, there's a maximum. There's, there's, a, the, there's a set amount this year. It used to be like Nate Sudfeld when the Redskins cut him. Um, he went to Philadelphia's practice squad. Philadelphia was allowed to pay him as much as they wanted, and they paid him what his minimum base salary would have been if he was on someone's roster or on their roster. And what teams had been doing at points during the year, if there's an injury someplace else and somebody was going to take their play off the practice squad, and they would pay the guy like he was on a 50-man roster in order to uh, keep him around. But you can't do that anymore because the practice squad, including playoff weeks because you get paid your practice squad salary during the playoff weeks, is $8,400. Now, if you're one of the guys, the six guys who um, doesn't matter how many accrued seasons you have, then your weekly salary is 12000 So let's say you're one of these vets. That's $204,000 you would make for 17 weeks if you were on the practice squad. At 8400 for 17 weeks, you're making $142,800. I suspect that you're going to see a lot more guys go up and down from the practice squad to 53-man rosters this year. Um, Typically, a practice squad player is free to sign a contract for another team's 53-man roster. You can't go from practice squad to practice squad to sign. sign. Now, there's a new rule that exists this year that on game days in the regular season and postseason, you can elevate two practice squad players a week um, without first terminating their, their contract and signing to his NFL contract. Typically what you have to do is terminate the practice squad contract, then sign him to an NFL contract. And then um, if you don't want him to stick around the next week on your roster, you have to actually formally cut them. And it used to be that they would all be subject to waivers, and they have to clear waivers to then re-sign to the practice squad. Now, this practice squad elevation thing allows you to increase your game day roster from 53 to either 54 or 55 players, depending upon how many people you bring up. It's up to two and they'll revert back to the practice squad the next business day. So you don't have to go through the formal transaction of cutting them. Um, the player makes his applicable minimum league salary um, for, for that game. So it'll be one seventeenth of $610,000 if you're someone who is an incoming rookie with no credited season. So you're making a little under $36,000 for, for that game, as opposed to 8400 for your practice squad week. Now, if you were a vet who has the highest league minimum of uh, $1.05 million this year, then you're going to be making just under $62,000 for the game, as opposed to $12,000 if you're one of those types of guys on the, uh, on the practice squad. Now, in terms of these elevations where you can elevate someone, um, you can only do that two times per player. So after that, you're going to have to go through the formal process of terminating the contract. And if they're subject to waivers, which most guys will be, then they have to clear waivers, and then they have to, uh, um, you have to re-sign them to the practice squad. Um, there's one other um, 
unique thing to this year that you can protect four guys um, each week that um, can't be poached to anyone else's 53-man roster. Um, four out of the six exempt, four out of the six exempt guys, you can you can um, you can you can uh, protect each week. So that's a di- little bit different thing for the practice squad. Practice squad rules have changed generally. Squad has increased, but now you can't negotiate salaries at least for this year. This whole formal thing where you can bring someone up and pull them back down without having to go through the whole situation of having to cut them is new as well. I think you're going to see a lot more elevations from practice squad this year because of the rules and also because of COVID-19. But we're going to see uh, how that works this year and who is on a practice squad, but you're going to see some vets that have been around the league for a long time on a practice squad that didn't used to have that eligibility before. Let's move to uh, players with multiple years left on veteran contracts who should be unhappy about their deals. Um, The unhappiness can stem from a couple of reasons. One, sometimes players do deals that never should have been done in the first place that you could see, foresee that there's going to be a problem. Uh, Two, sometimes everything's fine and the market eventually changes. So over time, uh, a deal is outdated. And three, sometimes players just outperform the contract in ways that uh, nobody could have foreseen. Now, first we're going to talk about even Stevie Wonder could have seen that these deals weren't going to be good for the player pretty quickly. Tyron Smith, in 2014, became the highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history. Uh, signed a deal averaging $12.2 million per year. That's fine. Highest paid player. At his position, but he signed what was a 10-year contract. He had two years left on his rookie contract and gave up eight new years. Nobody should be signing a deal that long if you are a Pro Bowl caliber player. The Patrick Mahomes deal is a little bit different because the uh, way the guarantees work, so I'm going to throw that one out of the equation, but still there's some problems with that one. Um, But this uh, Tyron Smith deal... (laughs) Definitely hasn't worked out for him. Um, Since he signed it, the tackle market has grown about 80%. The highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL now is Laramie Tunsil at $22 million per year. So Tyron Smith, he's under contract through the 2023 season. So that means, including this year, he's got four more years to go uh, before he's up. Uh, Smith never should have given up more than five new years. That's what uh, Trent Williams did, um, who replaced him as the highest offensive, highest paid offensive lineman in 2015. Had Smith gone that route, he'd been his contract year right now. And given that Dak Prescott was given, had got the franchise tag this year, you can only restrict one guy per team, either franchise or transition tag. The Cowboys would have had a lot of pressure to get Smith done. Now, if the timing had worked out that Laramie Tunsil's deal in April was already in the marketplace before they got something done with Smith, Smith would now be, most likely, the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL, above $22 million per year. The guy's been to seven straight Pro Bowls. Um, but 
The crazy thing is, Laramie Tunsil didn't enter the NFL until 2016, five years after Smith. Their contracts are going to expire at the same time. Moral of the story, never do an extremely long deal in the NFL. I'm going to throw the Patrick Mahomes deal aside, even though there are some issues I said with that. We're not going to get into that today. If you're a Pro Bowl caliber player, because you are going to be underpaid. There are no escalators in this deal. Not that they would make up for anything. There is no way to void out of it. So he is stuck and at the mercy of the Cowboys to correct the deal at some point in time. The other one, Daniil Hunter. In 2018, June 2018, Daniil Hunter signed a five-year, $72 million extension with a little over $40 million guarantees. There's a million dollars in salary escalators each year for based on his sack total. Sometimes the best deal you make is the one you don't make. This never should have been done, this deal, because it wasn't too hard to foresee that the $20 million per year non-quarterback was going to happen pretty soon. And it happened a couple months after Hunter did his deal. Everyone knew in the industry knew that Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack were going to go above the $20 million per year mark on a long-term deal. They were in contract years. First it was Donald, first to break the barrier, $22.5 million per year. And then Aaron Donald, then uh, Cleo Mack about a week later, $23.5 million per year. Hunter would have been better off playing out his rookie contract, signing, and getting franchised. And the franchise tag was going to be a little over $17 million. All he was going to have to do is do the same thing he did in 2017. He had a career year in 2018. 14 and a half sacks. So if he doesn't do this deal plays out his rookie contract, they got to stick a franchise tag on him. Um, the Vikings do. Now, two other guys who got franchise tags as pass rushers last year, Frank Clark, Demarcus Lawrence, was the second franchise tag for Lawrence, signed contracts in excess of $20 million per year. That's where Hunter would have been had he shown a little bit, a little bit of patience and not done a deal that Anyone should have been able to see who was going to be terrible for him. What's happened since these guys have signed? Pass rusher market has taken a bigger jump as well. The summer, July, middle of July, Miles Garrett with the Browns becomes the first $25 million per year non-quarterback in NFL history. About two weeks later, the Chargers signed Joey Bosa. To a five-year extension, $135 million, averaging $27 million per year. That's the new standard. Joey Bosa is making, on average, almost twice as much as Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter really should be in the $20 million per year pass rusher club, but the timing was terrible. He took an extension he should never have signed. Now, there is one thing which could save um, Hunter. The Vikings last year ended up having to address Adam Thielen's contract. He signed a deal, four-year deal, as a restricted free agent. He had two years left on the deal where he just exploded after that. So they had to readjust it and sign him to a deal in the $16 million per year neighborhood. If they go on the same timing for Hunter, they'll address the deal in 2022. But... This has to be one of the uh, worst decisions I've seen a player make on a, in terms of what to do. Take a long-term deal or play out a contract. 
Robert Woods, Rams receiver, different story. Robert Woods was second receiver in Buffalo. Uh, in his contract year, he caught 51 passes for 613 yards, scored one touchdown. Not the type of uh, statistics where you're going to break the bank in free agency. So, quite frankly, can't blame Robert Woods for signing a five-year, $34 million contract uh, to go to the Rams in 2017. There are escalators and incentives which make the max value $41 million. So what's happened with Robert Woods? It's hard to believe. Nobody thinks of Robert Woods like this. But past two seasons, 2018 and 19, Robert Woods ranks ninth in the NFL with 176 receptions, ninth in receiving yards with 2,353. There are seven players since the start of 2018 regular season that have at least 175 receptions and 2,350 receiving yards. There's some pretty uh, big names on this list. The group consists of, besides Robert Woods, Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Travis Kelsey, and Michael Thomas. You just don't think that Robert Woods would be in any type of class from a productivity standpoint is these guys, but he is, and he's under contract through the 2021 season. He wants to stay in L.A. At least that's what he told the media in a conference call LA um, last month. Wants to be a Ram for life. He's an L.A. kid. Um, played high school ball with Marquise Lee um, in Southern California. Problem is, he's not the priority for the Rams in terms of addressing their uh, receivers. Cooper Cup um, is in his contract year. And he's going to be a higher priority uh, for the Rams. So Cooper Cup's going to get paid pretty handsomely. Um, so... I don't know if the Rams are going to have it in the back of the mind, in their minds that, well, we got Woods we have to address, and that's going to impact the uh, cup negotiations. But that being said, just based on how Woods has performed the past couple of years, he'd be justified in seeking a contract averaging in the $16 million per year neighborhood. And I say that because the contracts of the 20 highest paid wide receivers average just about $16 million per year with the a little over $42 million in guarantees and about $27.5 million fully guaranteed at signing. The average contract length is given up four new years. Now, another guy not quite in the same boat as Robert Woods, but in the same general vicinity, Stephon Gilmore. Um, the Patriots never, almost never, go out and make a big free agent signing. They did that with Gilmore in 2017. In that first month, he was not good. And people were questioning whether the um, Patriots made a mistake. But since then, he has exceeded expectations of the five-year, $65 million contract he signed. Last year, Gilmore elevated his game to a different level. He was already considered one of the best cornerbacks in the league. But he earned, he was named Defensive Player of the Year, tied for the league lead with six interceptions, had the most pass breakups in the NFL with 20. Then the cornerback market hadn't really moved for a while. Um, in 2014, Patrick Peterson and, and Richard Sherman signed for $14 million per year. Highest paid corner uh, was Xavion Howard at a shade over 15. So it hadn't really moved a whole lot. This year in free agency, Byron Jones, when he left the Cowboys to go to the Dolphins, five-year deal, $82.5 million um, contract. But he set records with guarantees, which is more important than the 16.5 average. 
Um, 54.375 million in guarantees, 46 fully guaranteed at signing. But right after he signed, a couple days later, um, Darius Slay, in a trade from the Lions to the Eagles, signed for almost $17 million per year. That's not where the big problem is going to come with Gilmore. The market's going to move even more. Um, the expectation is that Jalen Ramsey isn't going to play out his fifth-year option for a little over $13.7 million this year. And he's going to get a new deal. At some point before the season ends, could be before, before the regular season ends, could be before the regular season starts. Um, in the next uh, 10 days or so, uh, he could get a new deal. But Jalen Ramsey could become the first $20 million per year defensive back on this deal. I expect him to significantly reset the market uh, for cornerbacks. So Gilmore has two years left on his contract. He's got a right, based on what he's done, particularly becoming first-team all-pro guy past two years, now defensive player of the year, to be unhappy with his contract as well. Now let's get to the case of uh, Zach Ertz with the Eagles. Ertz didn't have anything to gripe about um, until recently. The tight end market also had been stagnant. Uh, Jimmy Graham in 2014 became the first $10 million per year tight end. Austin Hooper was the first guy to sign for over $10 million per year at $10.5 million per year in free agency this year when he went from Atlanta uh, to the Cleveland Browns. A couple of weeks ago, within hours, um, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey signed for $15 million per year and $14,312,500 per year. Um, so Ertz, two years left on his um, five-year extension, averaging um, 8 5 a year, where he's got escalators he's been earning um, for Pro Bowl um, each year, which is which has increased the value to about $8.75 million. Um, close to that. Yeah, he's the next, that's prompted a lot of speculation. He's going to get paid because they've gotten paid. Fact is, the Eagles did try to get something done with him uh, last year around the same time that they signed um, the Pro Bowl lineman, the guard Brandon Brooks, and also their right tackle, Lane Johnson. Um, my understanding is the offer was in the $12 million per year neighborhood, but the um, structure was way too team-friendly um, for eighth for Ertz to ever accept it. Negotiations picked up again after these two deals were done for Kelsey and Kittle, uh, but they have broken off pretty quickly. And the reason is Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey signed a deal for structure that nobody ever should have signed. It was so backloaded. I don't know why he did. He's getting no new money uh, this year, so he's making the same money he was going to make had he done nothing. Um, in terms of new money, there's less than $5 million of it through the remainder of the two years left on his contract. And it is just ridiculously backloaded. The Eagles made an offer, um, according to Ian Rappaport, which was similarly backloaded and had less guaranteed money than the offer they made in November. And from a cash flow standpoint, doesn't match the cash flow of... Um, Austin Hooper's deal, at least through the first four years, because um, Hooper signed a four-year deal. That's 20 through 2023. So I don't know if it's a three-year extension that they were looking for, four-year extension. Just looking from the Kelsey deal, if the cash flow is under Hooper's, you got no shot at Zach Ertz ever signing a deal like that. So to me, if you're offering stuff like that to Zach Ertz, you're not serious about trying to sign him. So unless the Eagles are going to come with something which has a more even structure, 
that that isn't so team friendly and backloaded. He's playing. Uh, he's playing this year under his current contract. So we'll see what happens there if they make a, another run. If if I got an offer like that from a team, I wouldn't give him a counter offer. I'd say, you know what, you need to counter yourselves. And when you can give me a real offer, we can talk. And if I didn't do that, I would give them some crazy offer. It would be way above Kittle to send a message that, you know what, I can send something to you just as ridiculous as you can send to me. And now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's have a real negotiation. But my first instinct would be, you know what, counter yourselves, which is something I did in very limited occasions when I was an agent. Now, the last guy we're going to talk about, Chandler Jones. Um, Chandler Jones was franchised in 2017, did something unusual. He signed that. He got a long-term deal done really quickly. Typically, you see most franchise deals get done as a July 15th deadline for long-term deals approaches. This one was done in the first couple of days of free agency. Some of the top free agents on the market in 2017 hadn't even signed deals before Chandler Jones did his. He signed a five-year, $82.5 million deal, averaging $16.5 million per year. Um, the surprising thing was it was $500,000 less per year than what Olivier Vernon signed the year before. Um, I thought it would be more than Vernon, but still. Um, thing is, Jones made the all-decade team um, for the 2010s. And nobody has gotten to the quarterback more than Jones has in the past five seasons. He's got 72 and a half sacks over the last five seasons. Aaron Donald is second with 63. Um, last year he had a career-high 19 sacks. Um, if he'd gotten one more sack, he wins his second um, sack title. He won one in 2017. Now, the um, Cardinals are also... At least, at least according to Steve Kine, he gave a hint last week in a radio interview that they're um, probably addressing or going to do something with DeAndre Hopkins' contract. Um, that the, the receiver, the great receiver they got in a trade um, with the Texans, which they basically got rid of uh, David Johnson. He's got three years left on his contract. So if they do something for Hopkins in a meaningful way, and I'm and I'm Chandler Jones, I'm like, hey, I've been here for years. I'm your best player, or at least your best defensive player. What about me? Based on the sack totals, because you get paid a premium if you can uh, get to the quarterback, and he's taken the quarterback down more than anybody else in the past five years, that I would make the case, if I'm representing him, I need to be the highest paid non-quarterback in the league over Joey Bosa, who's at $27 million per year, because I am as about as productive as you get from a pass rushing standpoint. Now, that's going to wrap up this week's ep- episode. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, that's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L, and my regular column at CBSSports.com and Agent's Take. Um, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode next week. Goodbye.